0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet
1: Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of hour two, Bruce Boudreau will stop by former NHL head coach and I would suspect one day again uh, behind a bench in the uh, NHL. Now currently working with the NHL Network. Also, Lance Lesowski. Of the Buffalo news, will get you caught up on the Buffalo Sabres. Good news looks like for Rasmus Dahlin back in the lineup, Alex Tuck as well. It's the Sabres facing off against the Maple Leafs on Rogers Monday night hockey. Uh, in the meantime, um, maybe too much pressure right away, but off the top of the show, I said that one day Rich Peverly is going to be a GM in the NHL, and damn it, I'm sticking to it, and here he is. Uh, Rich Peverly, Dallas Stars Director of Player Personnel. Rich, thanks so much for doing this. How are you?
0: Thank you very much. Uh, very, very nice comments. So thank you. But uh, we'll see how things go. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're trending that direction, Rich, and the whispers will turn louder one day. Um, okay, so let, let me let me set the stage here for our, our listeners/slash viewers. So I look at the Dallas Stars organization, and we'll go to the uh, to the ECHL and the Idaho Steelheads, and I have a look, and I go, oh, look, they're first. And then I look at the Texas Stars and the Central Division of the AHL, and I say, oh, look, they're first. And then I look at the Dallas Stars and the American Hockey League and the Central Division. I say, oh, look, the Dallas Stars are first. So when Rich Peverly goes right through the organization and and starts checking first-place boxes, what goes through your mind? Is this, like, the most successful season for the organization at all these different levels?
2: Uh,
0: Well, yeah, I think I... I think you look at all the, all the teams that we have there. And I think the first thing that comes to my mind, it would be the coaching. Uh, you know, Everett Sheen has been a great job in Idaho ever since he's taken over a few years back. And it's obviously one of the best places to play in the ECHL uh, Yep, first class organization, um, treats everybody really well. And, uh, you know, I think that's the first thing that comes to my mind and in Texas, Neil Graham, who, uh, Has come in, has done a fantastic job, and Idaho Steelhead alumni, and he's done a fantastic job there. I'd say that uh, Scott White, GM of Texas, has been incredible over his years just in in recruiting players and getting good players, surrounding our prospects with with good veterans, and that's been the big thing there. I think Will Butcher, Riley Barber, uh, Alex Petrovic, we've got some great, outstanding, Curtis McKenzie, our captain, uh, outstanding characters there. That uh, teach our young guys how to do the things the right way, you know, professional habits, and I think that's a key thing. I think obviously this year in Dallas with Pete coming in and his staff, uh, they, they've kind of just struck the right chord with everybody. All the players, you know, Jamie's having a great year. He's he's uh, he's turned his career around. Uh, Wyatt Johnson, it's been unbelievable, and you know, Miro Heiskanen's taking another step. So. You know, Jake Andre. we've got a lot of good pieces in place, and I haven't even mentioned our all-stars. So, you know, he's, uh, our team's uh, trending up and looking good. So, uh, you know, for the organization, I think everyone's got to be happy for sure.
1: You know, the interesting thing about, um, and we're focusing on, you know, the the big squad, the NHL team, the Dallas Stars, with Rich, with Rich Peverly, uh, Dallas Stars Director of Player Personnel. Um, I look at this team and I say, you know, we always talk about windows and opportunity and, you know, when should you, you know, load up. And I look at, you know, things like the trade deadline and Max Domi comes in and that's a, a real nice bit of business. Um, but I'm also saying to myself... You know, I I look at what the Dallas Stars have right now and have on the horizon as well, Stankoven, Maverick, Bork, et cetera, other players, and I say to myself, like, there's multiple windows here. Like, it isn't as if, oh, this is, you know, Dallas Stars need to load up right now, and maybe Colorado's a little bit vulnerable, and, you know, this might be their only time to pounce. Can they do this? I look at your team, and I say, you know what? If I'm Jim Nill, I probably do the same thing. You know, as much as he might have yeah. wanted to get into bidding for other players, you know, I kinda go like, There's a lot of windows here. You know, why why Scotch any part of the future?
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And I think Jim uh, ultimately makes the call of, of those decisions. But um you know, I agree I agree with everything you're saying. Uh we've got some really good young prospects coming up. I think Logan Stancoven uh has done an outstanding job in Kamloops this year. He's uh you know, outside of Connor Bedard, probably one of the best CHL players, and he won CHL Player of the Year last year. Uh, he's a yeah. he's a great player on the up and up. We've got uh, Lee and Bishal playing in Sweden. who's playing very well right now. Had a really good World Juniors for the Swiss. Uh, we've got a lot of good young prospects: Thomas Harley, Maverick Borker in Texas. Really good young players that are uh, learning how to how to be good pros and how, learn how to win, and that's a big key thing for us. And. You know, I think, like you said, I, I, I wouldn't rush to, to get rid of any of these prospects for a short-term fix. Uh, these guys could be, you know, big pieces for our team for the next, you know, 15, 10, 15 years.
1: Mm-hmm. So what's the uh, what's the Caramelk secret then? Like, it's it's hitting on all levels right now. Everything looks great. Right now, the team's in first. More players uh, still coming. Wyatt Johnson, as you mentioned, he looks fantastic. Ty DeLandria uh, taking a real step with the Dallas Stars as well. What's the... What's the secret sauce here, Rich?
0: Well, I think we, you know, you got to tip your hat to, to Joe Mark and all our amateur scouts. They've uh, they're the guys that put the hard work in and uh, find the players. And you know, they've uh, they've hit on some really good, really good players. Obviously, Wyatt Johnson, Logan. Um, you know, we've got some of the other young guys that are coming up. Uh, you know, we've hit recently a lot on fifth round picks that have played games for us. So we've got guys that are coming in and and being. Uh, Notice through the draft and then we you know i think our development side does a very good job of uh you know understanding player i think players understand that you know it's not an easy road there's going to be difficult times and you know it's about taking the steps along the way that's going to make them good players in the long run and you know we're not rushing anybody and you know everybody has to learn good pro habits before they get to the nhl and i think that's a big part of it
1: How much does the uh, in your conversations, and so this comes up around draft time, certainly. But you know, as it as it goes on, when you look to you know construct a team, or in this case, you know, numerous teams at the AHL, the ECHL level as well. How often do you come around to talking about? character whether you're talking to you know you mentioned joe mcdonnell any of your other scouts as well jim nill anybody in the organization how much of the conversation revolves around character because as we've seen before a lot of good work can be undone real fast if you just have the wrong mix
0: yeah i think you know when you're talking about top characteristics what you're looking to identify a player i think that you know, that's probably up there. I I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I'd say it's number one. Yeah. You want to have the number one character player uh, at all times, but that's not how everybody is. They're not, everybody's not the number one character. So, um, you know, I think we're lucky that we've got an outstanding uh, leadership group in Dallas. You know, you're talking Jamie, Ben, Joel Pavelski and, uh, you know, guys that have been around a long time and, you know, we have a good veteran core so when you bring in a player, you'd want someone of, of high character, but, you know, it doesn't always work out that way, but you have to bring him into the right environment. And I think we've got a great environment in Dallas. I think we've got, you know, I think Joe's, Joe Pavelski, I, I rave about his uh, his character and the way he treats young guys. Like he, he brought in Wyatt Johnson into his house right away. You know, he, he brought him into his family. And, you know, that's what that's what leaders do. And, you know, it all starts with Jim, Jim Mill and our in our group on Dallas and everybody's treated the right way and you know, I think character is like I said, top of the list. Is it the top of the list you gotta be able to play but it it's right up there for sure.
1: You know, I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Joe Pavelski because, you know, one of the things that I've been going on now for a little while is, you know, making the Hall of Fame case for Joe Pavelski. And I know he's not someone that, you know, when you consider, you know, okay, so he's playing in the NHL. Is he going to go to the Hall of Fame? Yes or no. Um, as his career continues to go on and, you know, you hear stories about, you know, him with, with Wyatt Johnson. He plays on, you know, the top line on Dallas. Uh, one of, if not you know, the top line in the NHL, at times it's absolutely dominant and frightening. I keep circling back to both on and off the ice. This guy looks and plays and feels and conducts himself like a Hall of Famer. Rich Peverly, agree or disagree?
0: I 100% agree. That That's not even a question in my mind. Uh, you know, a guy that can play in the league that long and the longevity of his career the consistency of his career um plays on a first line and he's you know 38 years old and you know he doesn't look out of place at all he's never he's never his game's never all faltered at all um uh, you know he makes it say i you, you want to watch we have young players coming up you know we try to identify players for them to watch you know in a game and i and joel Pavelski's always the number one guy like he's he competes like anyone i've ever seen he, He's five uh, eleven my size you know one hundred and eighty five hundred and ninety pounds, but he plays like he's the biggest guy on the ice and you know that's, that's the biggest yeah. thing when you're teaching young players it's it's when winning fifty fifty puck battles you don't have to be the biggest guy on the ice to win puck battles and and that's the ultimate decider of who who's going to win the game and you know he's he's up there with the top of the guys in the NHL and win puck battles so he's uh, you know, he's a guy that's obviously made a, made a name for himself right around the net and an outstanding job there he works at his craft harder than anyone i've ever met um you know he's just a he's a great player for young guys to look up to uh
1: how often does your organization look back to the 2017 draft and just say thank you thank you that set us up for uh 10 years of success whether it's you know Haskinen, whether it's robertson or uh, netminder jake ottinger how often you look back at 2017 or do you even allow yourself that luxury
0: Oh, I, I, you know, you do kind of stop sometimes and, and think, wow, what a, what a draft that was in Chicago. It was, uh, it was just outstanding. Uh, you know, you sit back, we, we, we had the lottery, you didn't make the playoffs. So, you know, there was probably a little bit of disappointment around the organization and then you know, they hit the lottery, get uh, third overall and some pretty good players went ahead of uh, Miro, but, uh, or two players went ahead of Miro, but you know pretty good uh, pretty yeah. good choice Amiro Heiskin and obviously outstanding player uh, one of the top D men in the league he's so hard to play against His skating his stick uh, he's such a smart player um, kind of taking a step this year offensively which has been really nice to see you know you, again I'm giving back the praise you know Jim Nill and Joel McDonnell they, they identified Jake Odinger in the end of the first round there traded our traded our pick uh, one of our picks to get him uh, traded down uh, traded up to get him and you know, we got a franchise goalie. He's, he's outstanding. Great, like we're talking. We're talking about all these people. They're they're great characters. Jake Ondrasz up there with them. He's a outstanding person. Great character. Hard worker. Um, just a guy we're lucky to have. And you know, Jason Robertson to find an all star top line winger in the second round. Like Jason has come a long way in his development, and I give our development staff a lot of credit for him. But you know, you got to give the scouts a lot of cre- uh, credit for identifying the talent because. His hockey IQ, and you talk about winning fifty-fifty puck battles. The guy's got an outstanding stick, heavy stick yeah. that wins a lot of a lot of puck battles. It's it's frightening how much he comes out of a out of a out of a, a battle or a, a pile, and he's got the puck. He's just a uh, high high hockey IQ that uh, that's just something you can't teach.
1: You know, one of the um, one of the interesting lessons I think with Jason Robertson, um, with you guys, is um, you can fix things, you can correct things. And once upon a time, we would say, "Oh, bad skater, he'll never make it." And I remember watching him a ton in Kingston, and like the hands were super elite. Like the puck's on his stick, and then all of a sudden, a red light goes off, and you know, fantastic. He he can he could score puck battles, same thing along the boards, you name it. And, you know, the word was always the feet are going to hold him back. The feet are going to hold him back. He gets around fine now. Um, When you draft a player, how much do you look at not just who they are, but what their potential is? And like, are there any things in your mind that are unfixable? When you're looking at a player, like, is there one thing that you say, you know what, we got to stay away from this because we can't fix this. Is there anything like that for you? I, I
0: don't know if there's anything, like if there's one thing that cannot be fixed. I think there's always a gray area where, you know, you can improve a little bit uh, in anything you do. Um, I think Jason is probably our biggest uh, development project that, that turned out really well. I think Jason came from his family is from from California, and, and there's not a lot of uh, hockey. There was a lot of hockey, but there wasn't a lot of hockey training going on. And I think you know you have to give Jason and his family a ton of credit because he sat down with uh, with our development staff and, and we went over his his summer plan and it was not like anyone else's and and we fixed it and he went to Gary Roberts and he put the time in he, he his nutritional habits his eating ha- habits his workout habits his uh, ability realizing and understanding his needs of improvement and he and he went he worked on it and. You know, he realized. I, I, I've said this before in another interview, but I got a call during the lockout, or sorry, during the, during COVID, uh, if if Jason wanted to go play in Europe, and I called him, and and he kind of just looked, at, thought about it, and called me back and said, you know, that's not the area that I need to improve on the most. I need to get stronger. I need to get stronger in puck battles, and I don't think going to play is the biggest thing right now. And you know, I give the kid a ton of credit. He got stronger, and uh, and he came back and. And after that cold, uh year, and he he was outstanding, and and he kind of his career has ever taken off since since that since that happened. So, you know, some guys needed to play, and I think some guys needed. It was a ample opportunity for some guys to to get better at something else. And the guys that, that took advantage of that time when we were all kind of shut down, um, you know, are the ones that are kind of having success at, at this time.
1: And he's right up at the top of that list. Um, Rich, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for, uh, for sharing your expertise. Uh, congrats so far, like on all three levels. Like stars are hitting it. And uh, it's a great reflection on you uh, and a great reflection on the entire organization. Best of luck down the stretch. Good luck tonight. Uh, and best of luck into the playoffs as well. Thanks as always for stopping by. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Have a good day. There he is, Rich Peverly. Um, future general manager in the NHL. Guys get weird when you say that sometimes. But it's true. Like, Peverly is a really thoughtful guy. He's, as you can just hear, real smart. um, Certainly played, and we all know that. Um, And things like the, um, not that you, just because you played, does that sort of qualify you for what Rich does now? It helps. um, And, you know, it helps as a manager if you've played. But what's happened now? More so than ever, once upon a time when you were going to be hired by an NHL team, the question was, did you play? The nice thing now is they don't ask so much, did you play as much as they ask, can you think? And if you can do that, it opens a lot of doors. And if you can answer yes to both, that opens up even more doors. A lot of doors opening for Rich Peverly in the future. Uh, we'll hit a break. Lance Lasowski coming up in Hour 2. But joining me next, he is Bruce Boudreaux, former NHL head coach. Now working with the NHL Network. We're going random player styles with Gabby. Storytime is on the horizon. Stay here for Hour 2.
0: Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or
2: wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This
0: is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll get you set for Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Tonight, it's the Buffalo Sabres facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. Lance Lasowski from the Buffalo News joins me to talk about the Swords, who will welcome back uh, Rasmus Dallin and Alex Tuck. It looks as if that is going to happen tonight. So... More stars in the game. That's great. Um, Speaking of stars, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, a friend to every radio slash television program. Um, One of the best coaches the NHL has ever seen. Uh, A legend in minor hockey, junior hockey circles as a pro as well. Um, And is the author, I'm going to open up by asking if he's ever going to write another book. The author of Gabby Confessions of a Hockey Lifer, which Bruce, I am holding in my hands right now. And I've read it two or three times and every time I read it, I always ask myself the same question. Will Gabby write another book? Bruce, will you write another book?
2: You know, it's an interesting question, Jeff. Uh, um, I, I would like to, but it would be a more serious book. I think that book was more the fun times of, of minor league hockey. Yep. And I wrote it after the first year, uh, I think, of being in the NHL. So, I mean, there's an awful lot that's transpired between uh, then mm. and the the teams that I've come on, I think I could it there could be a very interesting book. But I mean, and I've I've threatened to write one, but we'll see how that goes.
1: <laughs> you know what? I've threatened it too, in my little broadcast yeah. career. Like one day I'm going to write my book and I'm going to tell this story, and you're not going to. I know I've I've done the same thing. Um, yeah. You know what I thought? Oh, by the way, before we get into this. Um, someone told me over the weekend that you were in Mississippi. Was that for a, a championship reunion? No, no. I mean, they phoned me. They
2: wanted me to drop the puck. Uh, they're named the Seawolves the same as when uh, our team in the East Coast was there, even though it's the, the Federal League. And they wanted me to drop the puck, and they wanted to do a tribute to me. And and, uh, and uh. time I get a chance to go to Mississippi, I do because – uh we loved the people when we were there and we we had such a good time and it's always fun when you haven't seen people for a while that you uh, are really good friends with that you get to sort of reminisce and and see them again so it was a lot of fun
1: oh that's awesome well here's what i was uh here's i was hoping to get into with you and it's like it's a monday afternoon uh, let's just have some fun um, and so he- here's the deal, Bruce. So I'm going to throw random names from your past. This is like Bruce Boudreaux, this is your life. Random names from your past and just hit me with whatever comes to mind right away. But before we get to names, I want to ask you about a place. When I say to Bruce Boudreaux, the Orr Walton Sports Camp, what comes to your mind?
2: Um, Bobby Orr. And and Bill Waters are the first things that come to mind. Uh, You know what? uh, I got a great picture that I keep up of all the people that were there, from Marcel Dion to Bob Daly and and so many stars, and Mike Walton as well. But, I mean, Bobby Orr, um, I was a junior still when I worked there, and uh, he uh, invited me to dinner just with him and his wife. And I thought that was the coolest thing. That Bobby Orr was taking his time to have just me and not, and and it's not like I was part of a group or anything and and I went and had dinner at his cottage and uh well, I'll just never forget it because it was Bobby Orr <laughs> you know like i mean and and the fact that it was i mean it was a beautiful um uh, uh place right on 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 the lake right in Aurelia and uh um yeah. where, you know, in today's day and age, like, I mean, they had their own hockey rink and everything else. It was an amazing spot.
1: You know, there's a, um, uh, I mean, the, the the Bill Masterton tragedy after that happened um, in that game and, and Masterton passed away. Um, as you can, well, remember, um, a lot of players started to put on helmets, including players on the Boston Bruins. And at that point, the Bruins, as you know, they, they just didn't wear helmets. Like no one on the Bruins wore a helmet. And in, this included Bobby Orr. And this was all in practice. And Orr started, you know, I think he skated for maybe 15 minutes with a helmet and then took it off. And one of the reporters afterwards said, "Well, and is trying to be cute with Bobby about it." said, "Well, Bobby, I don't understand." He said, "You know, you wear a you wear a jock strap, but you won't wear a helmet." And Bobby spun around and said, "Well, yeah, that's true, but I can always get someone to do my thinking for me." Um, I think that Bobby Orr is kind of one of the sly, funny guys uh, of the game. What was that dinner like? Do you remember any part of the conversation, or were you just overwhelmed that? Here I am, Bruce Boudreaux, the Toronto Marlboros, having dinner with Bobby Orr, the Boston Bruins, Stanley Cup champion.
2: It was more of the overwhelming thing. I think I was taking it all in, and he would be, uh, or his wife would be asking me a question. I don't even remember what the question was because uh, I was just, yeah. it, would like, it would be like me, honestly. It, I get the same reaction in my mind that. When I went around the Washington dressing room for the first time and saw Alex Ovechkin's name, I I said, "Oh my God! I was coaching Alex Ovechkin." And then it was the same thing. "Oh my God! I'm in Bobby Orr's house." Like, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Like, uh, give me a beer and uh, yeah, and make it quick, Mr. Orr. Let's go. You know, I mean, that wasn't coming out of my mouth. <laughs>
1: Uh, I love it. Okay. So let, let, let's run down some names here. I'm, I'm really curious to see where this, uh, where this gets us. And you know what? I'll start with Mississippi. You talked about Mississippi and the Seawolves. I want to ask you about one of the, and this is your championship year with Mississippi as well. He's 40 years old at that point, uh, a future hall of famer. You know, uh, we think about him coming to the Toronto Toros with, uh, with Richard Farda as well. When I say Vaslav Nedimansky, big Ned, what comes to your mind?
2: His son, Vashti Nedimanski, played on that team for us and uh, um, was such a good player. And he was so much better than that league was. But it's funny because uh, Big Ned was a really dedicated and everything else. Vashy was a guy with all the talent and the skill in the world. And, and, uh, but it, he, he was playing for fun. He didn't have that drive
1: you mentioned Vashi on the uh, on on yeah. the Sea Wolves, and I've gotten to know I've gotten to know over the years Vashi uh, we direct message every now and then whenever I mention Big Ned his dad whenever I mention Vaslav Nedimansky, um he always DMs me and I'm sure now that I'm talking to you I'm going to get a note from from Vashi um did you know that he went to school with Elliot Friedman
2: <laughs> I thought Elliot had his own school. No, I did not know
1: that. I, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, and Va- Va- wow, Namaskew went to school with uh, with with Elliot Friedman uh, about a million years ago. Vashi's a very successful uh well he works in the film industry and he's doing a documentary about his his father which is highly anticipated. Okay, let's go back to the Marley's days. When I say Mark Howe, what does Bruce Boudreaux say?
2: Uh yeah, first of all, a real good friend um, that year, and but so talented, so talented, and you could see where this guy was. I mean, he was light years. Uh, he was a 17 year old guy in the Marlies, and he was the best player on the best team in Canada. So I mean, um, and he, like, I mean, he was so good, but he was so humble. Like, I think he got 38 goals that year, and he he was. He was all about team. I've never seen a guy so much uh, all about team at that young age. I mean, it was uh, uh, really incredible for me to see anyway.
1: Was that the best team you ever played on, Bruce? It. Uh,
2: I think the best It's so hard because that Marley team two years later, I mean, we scored so many goals. I mean, um, and... It's a difference between the first 72, 73 Marlies. Uh, you were allowed to play till you were 21, so the league was much better. I mean, I mean there wasn't an 18-year-old draft. Whereas in the next the, the two years later, I think there was 19-year-olds playing somewhere else and uh, everything in, in, in that such. But I mean, um, when you've got a league of, of 21-year-olds and Dennis Potman's in. The- have been in the who would have been in the NHL for three solid years and Ian Turnbulls and all of those.
1: Yeah. It's
2: tougher then and we only lost 7 games out of 70 so I got to believe it was the best overall team I've I've been on.
1: Um let me take you to your Johnstown days here and this is someone like I live in Stouffville, and he's a legend here at okay. uh, that's Pools. Uh, and that's Guido Tennessee.
2: Yeah, he was a very steady defenseman. I mean, uh, uh he was big and strong, not overly offensive, uh but just one of those steady guys that you could count on back back in the day. Yeah.
1: Mhm. Uh someone who's near and dear to a lot of our hearts. I went to high school with his son Jason. Uh we remember him as a defenseman with the Maple Leafs, a member of as a defenseman in the OHA uh for City TV Sports he was a mainstay for decades Jim McKenney, Gabby what do you think oh, when i man. say that name you're with him in da- Dallas and yeah. Toronto and all over funniest guy uh ever
2: like i mean h- him and Jim Ralph were the yeah. two funniest guys you ever wanted oh, to yeah. see a quick story with Jim McKenny um one night in Toronto a puck went in off his head and uh, uh, and he scored the goal. And the next day, uh, Red Kelly was having a, a meeting, and Jim wasn't in the meeting. And everybody was going, "Where's Jim? Where's Jim?" And he came in with a whole bunch of pucks, and he was throwing them uh, three feet in the air and bouncing them in off the uh, off his head. Said, "Red, I'm just <laughs> practicing my goal scoring technique." And, I mean, like like it's so deadpan all the all the time. I've never forgotten that one. And he was just one one funny guy and uh, so talented. Him yeah. and Bobby Orr were supposed to be like neck and neck when they were coming up in junior. Uh, they just took two different paths. Yep. Uh,
1: they did. He was just so talented. And I, I can, you know, one of my one of my favorite stories to tell, it was uh, early, I grew up in the west end of, of Toronto, and one early Sunday morning, it must have been like 8 o'clock, my dad and I were on... The rink at High Park and out of nowhere comes Jim McKenney and Borea Salming, and came and skated with me for like half an hour just the three of us my dad was off to the side just beaming uh, my dad's no longer with us but he used to always tell me the story and they do you remember do you remember do you remember uh, the day that Jim McKinney and Borea Salming? because he would have lived on High Park Gardens I believe at that point and how he was down on Ellis Avenue um, coming out to skate It is one of my fondest memories ever. Um, and then got to play high school hockey with his son as well. So I'm, I'm with you on McKinney, one of the funniest guys, maybe the funniest guy you'll ever meet. Um, John Anderson, Gabby, John Anderson.
2: Best friend. Um, uh, like, I mean, I could talk about John forever, but I mean, uh, very talented, loved hockey so much. Got a real raw job, uh, raw deal in Minnesota. Uh, who's won more uh, minor league championships than than I think anybody. I think he's got six American League or IHL championships to his belt. Uh um, is a guy that would would you know do anything for you, like take the shirt off his back. But I mean, I think he also had eight 30 goal seasons in a row in the NHL which people don't yep. give him credit for. So I mean, it's uh uh and the 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 best thing uh, that i can say one year um uh when john w- he was getting bitter about the game because hartford had had sort of let him go and and um uh, yeah. so i asked him i said why don't you come to fort wayne play with me in the ihl for a year and just have fun and he did he was the best player in the league uh he ended up going to the american league after that and winning the mvp Uh, But it was the most fun we'd ever had, and uh, uh, we could tell stories about that Fort Wayne team forever.
1: You know, people in Toronto who are from a a very specific vintage will still talk about John Anderson burgers. I don't know if any of them are still remaining. I know that he, he sold interest in them years and years ago, but... Were you ever tempted? Did anyone ever approach you? I know Bobby Orr had, you know, Bobby Orr Pizza. We mentioned Bobby earlier, John Anderson with the burgers. And, I mean, the Tim Horton story is is well told. Were you ever approached or ever interested in getting in that business, Gabby? Well,
2: I would have eaten all the profits. That's the only problem if I was in it. But, uh, uh, no, no, but I... Every chance I got to eat a John Anderson burger, I did cuz they were really good. And uh, I wish John he had six stores yeah. at one point. I mean, I wish he had a kept it going cuz uh, um they were very good and whoever his business partner was knew how to make them, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I used to go to the one in Etobicoke. It was uh fantastic. Um okay, mm. uh, a, a few a few more here and I'm I'm curious about Two Brothers and boy, they're two of my favorite players. Um, One, I still maintain, you know, should have won, you know, a a Selkie Trophy somewhere along the way. Miko and Saku Koivu. You had one in Anaheim, one in Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I think the word
1: dedicated
2: and disciplined uh, to both of them are, uh, uh, you know, like Miko was, he gave every practice was um, the same. Like he would give it everything. But I mean, he was, He was probably the opposite of Jim McKinney in that he was always serious all the time. And Saku was the the same way, uh, uh, you know, like, I mean, they played as hard as they could. The biggest thing about both of them was, like, when they were getting older, like and like a lot lot of older players, they don't realize they're not 25 anymore and, and they can't play 22 minutes a night.
1: I want to go to your, to your to your WHA days here. I want to ask you about one who's a colleague now, one of my favorite people um, to talk to and talk about. What comes to your mind when you think of John Garrett, the legendary Cheech?
2: Yeah, um, uh, he's the Vancouver. Uh, uh, what is he? The, the Vancouver color guy and uh, Col- um, color analyst. Goalie, yeah, very, yeah, color analyst. No, he was a, he's a good guy. Like I mean. Uh, um, he was a good goalie when I played with him with the fighting saints. And, and I mean, the biggest thing you see still active, like, I mean, uh, this is well over 50 years for him in the business and, and uh, he yeah. does a good job. He's, uh, uh, he's really well liked in Vancouver. And that, that's, uh, uh. but it's amazing when I first went there, I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, you, know, you picture guys, we all picture guys when we played what they looked like when they played and then you see them 40 years later. It, uh, you definitely can tell we've aged.
1: <laughs> we all have, Gabby. It's the authority of time. Yeah, I we can't beat it. Um, I, I know. We I'm, I'm going to get. I know it. Uh, let's have some fun. Um, I'm going to I'm going to guess that maybe your answer to this, and this is just a guess, Bruce, that your answer to this question might be Jack Carlson. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Who was the toughest player you ever saw or played with?
2: Oh wow! I mean, uh, uh, there's so many that yeah, Jack Carlson was really tough, but I mean, I didn't see him fight enough. But I mean, like you have mm. Donald Brashear. Um, i you know, uh, uh, like I had uh, so many tough guys on my teams, and especially, and I, I was with Dave Brown a week ago, and we were reminiscing about the wow. times when he was in Maine and I was in New Brunswick, and, and back those days in the early 80s that every team had five to six uh, legitimate heavyweights that could knock each other out on any given night. and Because I remember watching Colt Knorr, uh fight a guy, but we had Ryan Flynn and they would kill each other yeah. every night. And 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 one would win if I get the one punch in, and then one would win the other night. But, I mean, the um, Jack Carlson was really tough. That whole team from Johnstown was extremely tough, except for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I was always lucky to have <laughs> a really good cavalry. Uh, matter of fact, one year in Springfield, my line mates were a guy by the name of Mick Vakoda, who played many years with the Islanders as a tough guy and, and Rod Dolman. And, uh, I mean, uh, neither one of them scored 10 goals and I won the scoring championship because I don't think anybody ever came near me (laughs) the whole year that year in the American (laughs) league. So, I mean, oh,
1: that's awesome.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the toughness guys, I mean, um, I've been fortunate and you can again, write a book about this, but, the tough guys you've played with. Look, I lived with Paul Holmgren in Johnstown, and then the first time I got a chance to play with him, when he went to Philadelphia and I went to Toronto, he beat the crap out of me. So, I mean, evidently I wasn't a very good roommate. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> that but that was the um you that was the uh, the apartment the the Paul Newman apartment in Slapshot. That was the one that you shared with Homer, wasn't it?
2: Yes, yes, and and like I mean, he was young and. Uh, He was really dedicated where I wish I was way more dedicated. I was more into having fun uh, back then and just relying on your ability, which, I mean, I regretted so many times over the years. But uh, um, the first time back in Toronto, when I was there, I was like a buzzsaw running around hitting guys, but I forgot that I was hitting the Philadelphia Flyers, and and then Paul came back and and hit me, (laughs) dropped his gloves, and threw about... Five punches lifted me off the ground, and the thing I was ticked off more than anything about on that situation was he got five and a ten, and I got nothing, and I didn't get a chance to go on the power play, and that that ticked me off more than anything. Ah.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, The stories are great. You're great. Um, I really appreciate the time today, Gabby. That was a lot of fun. I just thought it would be a fun Monday afternoon thing to do as you drive through the back streets, or back roads, rather, uh, in Pennsylvania. The Best of luck with the, uh, with the appointment. Um, best to your family, and we will catch up very soon, my friend. You be well, Bruce.
2: Yes, we will. Thanks, Jeff. Sorry about the phone problems, but it's always great hearing from you and, and listening to you. You guys take care,
1: okay? Awesome. Thanks, Bruce. You be well. The one and only Gabby. Uh, Bruce Boudreau. There's a few. There's a few other names. Oh, by the way, just as an just as an aside, I was thinking about this last night. and Matt Marchese said, "Hey, Bruce is coming on today. You want to do this word association?" But I said, "Yeah." So I started thinking a lot about Boudreaux. and I don't know what's going to happen with the Washington Capitals coaching situation. Peter Laviolette and you know Ovechkin chasing the record. The one thing that we're all of the belief. With the capitals is everything's being built around this record right like there's a lot of contracts that are being structured on this team that if everything works the way that it should will all culminate with ovechkin breaking gretzky's record and then after that the question marks begin for the washington capitals and i'm not advocating for anyone losing their job all i'm saying is It really would be wonderful if somehow Bruce Boudreau was part of the Washington Capitals when Alex Ovechkin breaks the record. Like, let's face it. Right now, the Capitals, um, as long as Ovechkin's chasing this record, Brian McCollum's putting together a competitive team. Real nice bit of business on the weekend. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, three years, $3 million AAV a nice bit of business for the Caps. This is a team that is not interested in taking a step back. That's what the Flyers are doing right now. Washington Capitals, no chance. Ovechkin's chasing the record. We're surrounding him with people that are going to help him get that record. Once that's achieved, I think all bets are off. But getting there, and I don't know how it would work, but do you ever allow yourself to sort of do this in my hockey fantasy world. This happens, and that happens, and that happens, and that happens. Because to me, one of the amazing things would be Alex Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's record, and Bruce Boudreau is on the bench to watch it. Where Bruce began, with the Washington Capitals, see Alex break the record, and there's Boudreau on the bench still. And again, with the Washington Capitals. I stay up thinking about goofy stuff like this. Trust me. Takes years off my life and hours away from important things like sleeping. But nonetheless, thanks to Bruce Boudreaux for stopping by today. Uh, Coming up on the program, oh, I do want to remind you too that uh, tonight... Uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, a pair of games at 7.30 Eastern pregame getting underway at 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet. Uh, The Sabres and the Maple Leafs, that will be shown on Sportsnet Ontario, West and Pacific. Meanwhile, on Sportsnet East, you can enjoy the Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Montreal Canadians late game tonight 10 o'clock start on this one the Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken Buffalo Sabres reinforcements have arrived Rasmus Dalin, Alex Tuck believe they're in the lineup tonight for the Sabres against the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, we'll talk to Lance Lasowski in a couple of moments and get on the Buffalo Sabres page Americ show continues across the Sportsnet radio network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet now keep it here
0: Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: I am, by the way, pleased to announce because I'm getting the uh, the tweets. About it. Uh, there are still a couple of John Andersons kicking around. One in Markham, one in North York. A million years ago when I worked at 640, there was a John Anderson's uh, right across from the Young Norton Center that we used to go to on a regular basis. He used to go to the one when I was a kid in Etobicoke, and there's one in Markham as well, as we understand it. So even though John Anderson has a uh, divested interest, the brand still lives. Great hockey player, great mustache, great burgers, John Anderson. Uh, in the meantime, tonight, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It's the Buffalo Sabres facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Joining me from the Buffalo News, our good friend Lance Lasowski. Lance, how are you today?
3: Doing great, Jeff. How about yourself?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. So the reinforcements have arrived, I understand. Good news for Rasmus Dallin, good news for Alex Tuck, and great news for the Buffalo Sabres. What's the very latest?
3: Yes, so not official yet, but all signed at the morning skate point to both Darlene and Tuck playing tonight. Obviously, it's it's massive, of course, with Darlene with Matias Samuelson week to week. You don't want to be without two of your top three defensemen in a game like this when you're pushing for a playoff spot. And Tuck has been, you know, if he's, I know he's technically probably not the MVP of this team. He's been so important though. You know, we we all talk about Tage Thompson. A big piece of that success, of course, has been what Alex Tuck is done for that line with thompson and skinner
1: i don't know that anybody anybody deserves more christmas cards than alex tuck what he's done for that organization (laughs) at so many different levels like i I always look at sort of the the christmas card factor like okay okay like i know that what tage thompson has done in a lot of other seasons, he had been consideration for the Hart Trophy and et cetera, et cetera. But to your point, I don't know anyone on that team that means more, with all due respects, again, to Tage Thompson than Alex Tuck, because since his arrival, it's night and day. It's night and day for this team. Yeah.
3: His, work, his work rate sets an example for the rest of the group. You know, you have nights where people, guys just don't have it, right? Alex Tuck doesn't have many of those lights. I think he's had one all season. It just happened to be against his former team. He has just been a stabilizer in every way for that group. The way that he, you know, if, you, if you're if you going to a game and you're afraid that you're going to overcomplicate it and try to force things, Alex Tuck just goes on the ice, has one of those simple shifts, chips the puck in, wins the puck battle, and creates a scoring chance. It's just, it's been infectious for yeah. the group, and they've absolutely missed it in these games here really recently.
1: You know, I am, I'm curious about a, a couple of things with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, and maybe the main thing is, what has the fan base done with this dip that the Sabres are having? And how much are they looking at Kevin Adams and saying, the team earned reinforcements. Where were the reinforcements? Or are they saying, we understand, this is the plan, take the long view You know, don't be penny-wise and pound-foolish. How are Sabres fans reacting to this, and how much is Kevin Adams hearing it?
3: It's split. You have, you know, I understand it. There's an impatience that has grown throughout the last 11 years, and the drought is about to reach 12. And you can keep selling them on the future as much as you want, but until you produce results, and that means playoff games, they're not— Some people just have a hard time believing it. You know, you can paint as many examples as you want about, you know, look at how much progress this group has made. Look at all the changes. Darlene's reached a Norris Trophy level. You you finally have a very effective top line with scoring depth. But in the end, some people, Mm -hmm. they just want playoffs, Jeff. They're just tired of waiting. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I get it, but I mean, this is... See, here's, here's the, 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 the point that I've been trying to make about the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, Matty Marchese, our producer, uh, and I were talking about this off the top of the show. Unlike previous seasons or previous moments where there's that glimmer of hope, I think the Buffalo Sabres fans now for, for the first time in a long time can look at this team and say, this isn't fool's gold. Like, this is legitimate, and who knows, like, they may take another step back next year. Like, who knows, like, you know, rebuilds are bunny hops, right? Two forward, two back, three back, two forward. Like, that's just the nature of, of how rebuilds work. Um, but I think for the first time in a long time, Lance, we can look at this and say, this isn't a mirage. Like, this is actually, it's like, are there issues? Of course. But the basics and the building blocks of what this thing is going to be, you know, we really see are in place and are going to be in place for a long time here. What I'm getting at is I think Sabres fans are looking at this and saying, you know what, Buffalo Sabres aren't faking the funk like they're really putting something real together here.
3: The changes that need to be made aren't, you know, you don't need to go out and get a number one center. You you could argue you don't, you don't even need a top six forward with what this group has and what they could have joining them next year with Yuri Kulik and Matt Savoy. It's subtle. It's subtle changes. Of course, you have the goalie question. A big piece of that is going to be signing Devin Levi, but you need another defenseman. You need to figure out, okay, what are you going to do with Victor Olson? Is Casey Middlestad part of this long term? What's your, your bottom six going to look like? These are very easy questions to answer compared to what this organization was facing only two years ago when they were in the middle of that 18-game winless streak. So they've got plenty of cap space. They've got plenty of assets. Now it's a matter of what do they do with it. And I think people are going to really start yeah. to understand, at least the ones that are naysayers, once they do sign Dali and they see what that number is going to be, or they get potentially that bridge contract with Owen Power. The money's going to go quickly, and they're still going to have a lot of really good pieces here in terms of building moving forward.
1: Okay, so you opened a couple of doors here. Let me uh, let, let me walk in first. Starting with Devin <laughs> Levi, um, Northeastern goes out against Providence on the weekend. Uh, I know it wasn't, you know, I mean, right after the game, you're not. gonna I mean, he, the kid's going to be emotional. I I understand that's not the time to, you know, shove a contract under his nose and say, hey, let's turn pro, kid. Um, you want to give the time a couple, the, the kid some some time to to digest all of it. Um, and it's a conversation between Kevin Adams and, you know, the uh, the agent there who is uh, Ian Pulver. Um, what do you think happens here? And how quickly does something happen here? And to the best of your knowledge, what has been the plan all along for Devin Levi? And I'll just be blunt. has his um, Was it the emergence of Devin Levi that caused Alex Portillo to say, you know what? Yeah, not interested anymore. I need to shuffle off.
3: That is a big piece of why Eric Portillo decided to go elsewhere and they traded his rights to the Kings. Once that trade was made and everybody tracked Levi's development and where this organization saw him fitting in, the writing was on the wall for Portillo. Now with Levi, I still think we're going to get clarity here with the next couple of days. They gave him some time to breathe. Everybody knew these these conversations were going to be had as soon as Northeastern was out. Now they're having them. And now it comes down to contract structures. You burn the first year at the entry level, where is he gonna go play? You know, this with Eric Comrie's injury, I know that he wasn't the number one, they're still getting a lot of starts to Luca and the Sabres aren't closing the door on Devin Levi going right to the NHL either this spring or in the fall. Like if he really? proves that he's ready, he's gonna have he's gonna have the job. Now I'm not saying that's gonna happen this spring, but I'm not ruling anything out at this point because they have just been They have loved what they have seen with this kid's development. You've seen how technically sound he is, the hockey sense. He is off the charts in a lot of ways. Ah. And now now it's evaluating, can he stop pro shooters, right? And, Jeff, we see the way the American League is, especially with the way some of those teams defend. You don't always get a good read on where a goalie is development-wise in the American Hockey League. You just don't. Like, development is so weird at that position that it's not always as cut and dry as it is with other positions. Now, I think with Levi, with all the intangibles he has, why not? I think they're not closing the door. I know we heard some rumors about the Sa- Sabres huh. potentially going for a goalie before the deadline. That was never going to be the case. They did not want to block Levi. They very much think this kid can, can be fast-tracked to the NHL. I'm not Again, I'm not saying it's going to be this spring, but I think that is at least a conversation that wow. is, is being had behind closed doors.
1: Well, the numbers at Northeastern were insane, uh, and you know a lot better than I do. This is this is your beat, and you cover them, uh, this team, and this organization on a daily basis. But those numbers were ridiculous. And the the one thing you also opened up a door to talk about Yuri Kulik there, and the the one thing that amazes me about him, and I'm not saying that he shoots like Patrick Line. I'm not saying he shoots like Austin Matthews. But, you know, when the Rochester Americans put up video clips of their games and their goals and Kulik is scoring, it's from distance. And that's the one thing that I look at for goal scorers. It's a lot easier, obviously, to score closer to the net. And it's really hard, whether it's, you know, the way the defenses stack and the way that, you know, goaltenders play. It's really hard to score from distance. This kid can do that. How close is Kulik, do you think?
3: He's close. I see him being the replacement for Victor Olsen going into next season. Olsen, he's got one year left. Would be shocked if he's on this roster going into next season. They need to create a spot. Not only do they have Kulik, but they got Savoy. Kulik has been a really interesting prospect to track. Before World Juniors, wasn't getting to those areas to score, right? Playing too much on the perimeter rather than going and attacking and competing. Like Ever since he's gotten back, his, his game has reached that level they wanted. There's always concern, right? You got a kid who goes to World Juniors, and it can be a little easier. to drop in competition, can fall into bad habits that they were yep. were leaking into their games before they arrived. Now he has answered a lot of questions there, and goodbye. The the organization's impatient with them. They easily could have rushed him up here the last couple of weeks, especially with rosters expanding. Kev Adams doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. He wants to keep him in a position where they're pushing for a playoff spot in Rochester. And credit to the coaching staff, the development staff down there—they have done wonders not only for Kulik and Isak Rose in this season. You look back at last year with Paturka and Quinn, where they took their games as well.
1: How would you? Maddie and I were going back and forth on this to, to start the show as well. How would you describe? the uh, the sabers season so far maddie was wondering if you describe it as you know w- wildly i can't remember the exact term you something like you know wildly spectacular or you know something like that and i look at it as you know there were spectacular moments there were spectacular stretches to me this was a solid season for the buffalo sabers as they took another step and we started to see what this sabers long term was going to this team was was going to look like how would you describe the squad now that we're you know well in and deep into the home stretch here
3: it's been a fr- i would describe it as a fruitful learning experience for all you have so many guys on this roster who have never ah. experienced meaningful games this time of year right you look at how much this team is yeah. scoring you look at their power play even with guys coming in and out they found ways to be effective They've developed scoring depth. Third D corps, despite being one of the youngest in the league, especially at the top end, has really shown massive strides. Dali, Power, Samuelson, Yoki Haru. Now they got to build the NHL roster. What are the next moves going to be made? And learning how to adjust your game this time of year when you're not going to beat teams six to four. How are you going to win two one games? How are you going to win three two games? Because right now we've seen it. You know, especially that ten to four loss against Dallas. Trying to create something that's not there. <laughs> You know, chip the puck in. Go win puck yeah. battles. Don't turn the puck over at the blue line and have it come right back at your D. I mean, I know a lot has been made about, you know, what they, you know, the Chickering talk. Of course, Kevin Adams very much wanted Jacob in for good reason. But I think a lot of the struggles with this team has been the forward group. It's been the details on back checking, details on D coverage, turning the puck over. And it's not just been guys like Quinn and Paterka. I think at times they've been more responsible than, you know, Thompson, yeah. Skinner. They're so high-end skilled with, with ultra-confidence that they can create something out of nothing that it really bites them. And that's something they're going to have to learn to adjust because if you turn the puck over tonight against a team like the Leafs, good luck. You're not going to outscore teams this time of year. You have to know how to manage the game, and it's something they're still learning how to do.
1: Let me uh let me rewind to that. You mentioned the 10-spot game against the Dallas Stars. Uh how did the team like how did the team deal with that? Was it just one of those, you know, crumple it up, throw it in the trash bin. That's just one of those games and teams are going to go through it or did they look at it as, you know what? This is a game where the Dallas Stars really exposed us. How did the how did the Sabres look at that one?
3: I think there were some really tough conversations that were had behind closed doors on I I know, and they know, that that loss on Long Island last Tuesday with the Hudson Fashion Goal, the manner in which it counted, right, the replay, that was demoralizing for the entire group, and they responded in the wrong way. Now... You go to Thursday night, you lose ten to four. You, there's, it's gut check time. I think Kyle Okposo said post game, it would be a shame if we squander this opportunity with this group, with how special and everything we've accomplished, and just go out with a whisper. That's yeah. not how they want to do things, you know. And Tage Thompson, to the media the next day, mm-hmm. took accountability, admitted that he didn't play well. It, you know, the games against the Islanders and the Stars were two of his worst of the season. He comes back, plays.
1: Did we just lose Lance? Ah, we just lost him. What is with our phones today? Technology is your friend. Technology makes your lives easier, everybody. Uh, well, uh, Lance will give Lance will give Lance a call. Uh, Lance Kennedy will give Lance Lasowski a call. Lance uh, Lasowski from the Buffalo News. And uh, Lance Kennedy, our technical operator. Lance will call Lance and we'll get Lance back on the program thanks to Lance. A thing that was just said. Here on the radio Um, tonight as I mentioned Rogers uh, Monday Night Hockey it's the Buffalo Sabres facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs the Leafs coming off a wild game against the Edmonton Oilers where you know there were some wonderful performances by Toronto none better than Mitch Marner who once again demonstrated why he is this season the MVP of the team we have Lance Lisowski back story Lance we just lost you there a second ago
3: Of course. No, no worries. Yeah, I think that there was accountability. I think especially with the higher-end players on this team who are going to dictate where the success, where this team is going to go, it was gut check time, and it was recognizing that you can't play that way this time of year. And you saw against the Rangers, they buckled it down defensively, didn't create enough offensively, but there was a step in the right direction in terms of just being responsible with the puck and not forcing things because you're just going to get blown out of the building this time of year if you try to do that.
1: It's true. Um, last one for you here. You mentioned Kyle Poso a couple of seconds ago and, you know, expiring contract. There's a couple um, with the Sabres team. He's the captain. What do you think happens this off season with Poso?
3: I think he's bad. I think he comes back next year. He's just so perfect in his role. Again, another guy with the way that he works night in and night out is a perfect example for the group. He, he wins battles in the four check. He kills penalties. He does a lot of the dirty work that gets unnoticed when you're, you have a team that's scoring at the rate the Sabres have this season. I think eventually, once he decides his playing career is over, I think he's going to be in hockey ops. I would be shocked if it's not with the Sabres, but I think the guy still has something to give. No mm. you know that the numbers have dropped because of his role, but I think that he is back and, um, in the same role he has now.
1: Uh, don't disagree. Uh, Lance, thanks as always for stopping by. Enjoy tonight's game. It's Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, th- this is one that Maple Leafs fans are, are always nervous about because no matter what the era, when these two teams get together, and this goes back to like the Don Edwards, Bob Sauvay de- uh, days, uh, no matter if there's a major disparity in points between the two, Buffalo is always a tough one for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That QEW rivalry. Uh, has always been a tough one for the uh, for the Maple Leafs and their fans, even when they're traveling to Buffalo to fill the stands. And nothing delights Buffalo Sabres fans more uh, than cheering against the Maple Leafs in a in a in an arena full of Maple Leafs fans. We'll see what happens tonight, Lance. Thanks as always for stopping by. Really appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Take care.
1: It's the Maple Leafs at home against the Buffalo Sabres, uh, one of two games on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, The action gets underway at 7 o'clock Eastern with the pregame program, Hockey Central, and then the puck drops just after 7.30. uh, Sabres and the Maple Leafs on Ontario, West Pacific on East, same time, the Colorado Avalanche and the Montreal Canadiens. Stars and Kraken uh, a little bit later on this evening as well. You know, on the podcast that just came out this morning, me and Elliot were talking about um, Hart Trophy candidates and... Uh, the way that I do it is similar to the way that Elliot does it is, and that's you know I draw the sort of master list and to me doing voting um, is always art by subtraction not art by addition and I just get like the master list for all the things that I vote in and then whittle them down as opposed to start with a one or two obvious and then start to add I go the other way Miko Retin has had a great season, and in a lot of other years, I would have given him more consideration right up around the top. But it's tough, right? It's Connor's going away, but let's not sleep on the great season Miko Ranton has had. You can see the Avalanche in action against the Habs later on this evening. Thanks to Lance Lesowski for stopping by for the Buffalo News. Uh, Bruce Boudreau driving through questionable roads, maybe farms as well in Pennsylvania. Thanks for stopping by, Bruce. Uh, Thanks to Rich Peverly, Dallas Stars, Director of Player Personnel. Talk to us about the Stars at all three levels, NHL, AHL, and the ECHL. Just nailing it. And Elliot Friedman from the GM's meetings in Florida. Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Merrick Show back tomorrow across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now.